Hey, welcome back to another episode of Unicorn TV, our podcast, formerly Swiftcast TV podcast. And it's been a while, um, but Adam and I are back, and we're going to start doing these things a little bit more regularly. And so uh, we're sorry we were absent for some months, but uh, we were heads down on some projects, and uh, now we're we're going full steam. So what's up, Adam? Um, not a lot, but uh, I would like to give a middle finger to some people. Okay, not really a middle finger, but I'm very sad to see that Parse is now not a thing. Um, especially considering we use Parse on probably, what, the last three or four projects we've done. So yeah, at least. It's kind of a problem. <laughs> just, a, just a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I've been so impressed with Facebook in the last year with with the services they've rolled out, and you know, React is an impressive framework. React's native, you know, Parse was a was a great um, pass, you know, software, and you know, it's just it's really sad to see. Um, I mean, granted, they gave us a year, you know, of sunset time, but still, I mean, just to shut it down, like, why? I, I'd like to know the motivation behind that. I would too. Um... I like to blame it on Node.js, but that's, that's another conversation for another time. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe we'll try to uh, offend some people in the next podcast. So now that Parse is essentially on its way out, um, we're going to have to look towards alternatives. And, you know, they're, they're open sourcing a lot of the stack. And what I've already seen so far is that there's still features missing. Like, if you go look at the, the stack they've opened up... Um, for example, I know right off the top of my head, they're not supporting push notifications, you know, so right. you're going to be missing that if you go and set up, you know, the, the parse, um, API tools. And that by itself is a big deal. I don't know if you've ever registered a push notification server, um, yourself, Adam, but I've done it once and it's, it's just not fun. Yeah. I remember doing it once and it was very unfun. So from there I, I switched, um, and I use. I think we were using Urban Airship for most of our push notifications. Yeah, same with me. I actually, I think push notifications were the first um, big reason I switched over to Parse because it was just so easy to set up. Plus, their mm -hmm. analytic tools and uh, you know the database, of course. Um, you know, it was just so easy. Parse made a lot of sense, but now it's kind of inevitable if you're going to go to the pass route and you're going to use a third party. Now you're kind of forced to use two products you know maybe like a combination of realm or firebase for your database and then um urban airship or the like for your push notifications and well know. there may be three actually yeah know? yeah i wouldn't yeah. be surprised if you want the full parse experience you're probably gonna drop in three different solutions now right um but luckily the community has actually started to list out some parse alternatives for us Yep. And you can find that in the show notes, but it's um, github.com slash related code slash parse alternatives, capital P, capital A. And there you will see a list of many, many services that can basically do everything that you were able to do in parse. Yeah. And when you look at this list, it really gives you a, a sense of just how many services parse provided. Uh, there's, what, a few dozen <laughs> providers on this list. More than that. I'm, I think there's about 100. 
Right. And I, to be honest, I don't know if any of them actually mimic parse fully. Right. I'm going to go with probably not. Um, and that's that's what made parse so awesome. So, so yeah, you guys should go take a look at this list. Um, some of the things or some of the services that we're familiar with are Realm for your database. Um, what was the database that you said? Um, Firebase is a big one. That's great for real-time notifications. A lot of people use that for like messenger apps. Um, anything that you really need to get down to the the microsecond kind of level or, or you know, async kind of callbacks. Um, I've used Appery, I think is how it's pronounced, uh, in the past once. Um, they do provide both a database and a push notification server. Um, I can't remember exactly why I didn't like it. It might have been a lack of an SDK for iOS, maybe. Right. Um, and that's that's the thing you're going to find with a lot of these services is even if the service has one-to-one -one mapping, you know, for Parse, um, Parse had a great SDK and they supported CocoaPods and uh, it was just really easy to just drop in Parse as a CocoaPod. You're up and running. You have the SDK and you just don't even have to think about the API. Right. The, the SDK had some other cool things like um, the user sign up and user login with Facebook and all that. Not that you can't use it still, but, you know, I don't think we'll see the same updates to it. I'm not quite sure how it's exactly provided at the current moment. Right. Plus, one of my favorite things that I loved about Parse was the um, background sync for the database. It right. would basically just perform its operation in another thread. So you could just say, you know what, this data will sync up at some point, but it would automatically handle the local storage for you. And then once an internet connection was established or solid enough to transfer, it would then do that transfer. Where if you use like CloudKit, um, you're probably going to have to rely on some kind of local data store first, like core data, and then kind of write in your own handler to then do that eventual consistency syncing. Um, so that was a feature I actually used in Flourish. Um, yeah, I built that on CloudKit because I wanted it to be third-party agnostic. Um, and when I rewrote the, the application, um, I loved how Parse just did that. It was like, okay, cool. I can use this one method and it'll say, you know, I can't remember the actual method name, but it was something along the lines of sync eventually. And I'm a big fan of eventual consistency. Like, Look, internet connections come and go. I like my apps to work offline. You know, I really hate when I'm bound by an internet connection, especially because, you know, I travel a lot. So sometimes you might not have internet. Um, right. Plus, I live out in the boonies. So, you know, uh, if I am if I leave my house and I'm away from a microcell, I don't have internet. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, that eventual consistency was a really nice feature. And the SDK just handled so many edge cases like that. So I'm sad. Yeah. I have to agree. Um, some other notable uh, services here that I've used in the past for analytics, uh, Localytics, that's a good one for analytics. Mixpanel as well. Um, I've not only used that on iOS, but web. Um, for crash reporting, Crashlytics, uh, that's usually my go-to. I haven't used anything else other than that that I can remember. Uh, let's see there's anything else that really stands out to me. I think that's really about it for analytics. And then you'll see, you'll see all the other services that handle things like um, crash reporting, push notifications, like we said, 
um, and then just general purpose providers. Yeah, and on the analytics side, I used Flurry a bit in the past. Uh, once again, I hope I'm not butchering the name, um, but I think it's Flurry. Flurry sounds right, yeah. That was, that was a pretty good uh, setup. I liked Flurry. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some decent alternatives, but definitely be prepared to, uh, to mix and match to get all of that functionality. In other news, um, I saw that Big Nerd Ranch released, I think just today, wasn't it, that they released their JSON uh, framework? Right, called Freddy. Um, yeah, maybe their next framework will be JSON. I'm not quite sure. Fine. Um, but Freddy and JSON kind of go together as well, you know? It's JSON without one letter. Um, so, yeah, they released another JSON framework because they felt that the current options weren't maximizing safety. Uh, the style of most of them weren't idioma- uh, idiomatic and they weren't fast enough. So I can't say that I've actually played with it yet because it is so brand new. Um, I've taken a look at at some of it and it is definitely more the style of that you would see for most Swift libraries. But to be honest, I personally like DSLs. Um, so that doesn't bother me. So I'll have to give it a try to actually judge and check out the actual speed because that's very important to me uh, when parsing JSON. Right. Um, what I use normally and used on the last few projects is Object Mapper. Um, that's been my favorite because the syntax is really nice and it's really easy to define, um, well, map objects to your JSON, which I think with something like Freddy, I don't know. Oh, it looks like you can do that. Um, yeah, it, it looks like Freddy is, uh, it is similar to object mapper, but has a lot more support for, uh, using Swift two syntax, um, and mm-hmm. features, I should say, um, guards and, um, different try catch statements. I think that that, it, it tends to be a little bit more modern in that sense, but I've been a big fan of Swifty JSON and object mapper as well. Um, Frankly, I just feel like you really don't run into issues all that often. But then again, I'm working with JSON that is very predictable in most projects. And, you know, the API is not going to have some, you know, definition or property that I haven't strictly defined. So, you know, I tend to unwrap and do those conditional checks more in line rather than using um, try catches and, and guards. Yeah, I've actually had some issue with Swifty JSON. Unfortunately, I'm blinking on what the problem was, and that's what caused me to go and find another JSON library. I was, I think it was not parsing what should have been valid JSON for some reason at some point. I'm that may have been fixed by now, so that's when I learned about Object Mapper. So. Yeah, and to be fair, I don't think I've used. Swifty JSON since 1.2, I think is when it first came out. And I don't know how how much has been maintained since then because I've used Object Mapper since 2.0 came out. So right. it's been a while. Okay. Um, so one of the things that you do after you parse JSON is obviously feed those new objects and um, attributes into your UI, or at least I would assume that's what you do with it and you want to have a beautiful UI. So besides using the framework that we built, you could use now Material, 
built by Cosmic Mind. And I really love Material from a design perspective. Uh, granted, it's built for Android um, and part of the Android design guide, but it's it's gorgeous. I, I can't disagree. It and especially so. I think Material was forked from the original Material Kit, uh, which I just don't think has been actively maintained since like one point two. Um, it, it looked pretty similar when I drilled into the code. I'm pretty sure it was just a straight fork and. Uh, updated to 2.0 and as a cocoa pod so it's it's definitely a great uh, a great UI um, the one caveat I would mention is that at this time um, some of their documentation is a little bit off you'll see imports that say that reference material kit so you'll see an import that'll say import material kit and of course you get an error there's no material kit found so I found on our last project, uh, it is actually called Material, just Material now. So if you see some documentation that says is referencing Material Kit, you might want to 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 look for that um, little bug there. But outside of that, uh, they've got great documentation on all of their components. Um, they're all really easy to set up programmatically, as well as uh, with IB designable properties. Mm -hmm. And uh, and surprisingly, they don't crash Xcode. I've used IB designables. Quite a bit in the past, uh, the the our own UI framework that Adam mentioned is called Flourish UI. Uh, we've recently updated that, and uh, in the past that would crash Xcode. But I think Apple has done a good job getting those working a little bit better. Sometimes they still don't render uh, when you're working in Interface Builder. Um, you know, so if you, for example, set like a border or a border radius, corner radius, if you will, um, you won't see things like that that are CG layers. Um, you won't see those things rendered, but uh, a lot of other things, a lot of other attributes will actually update on the fly and, and reflect that in Interface Builder. So that's nice. Awesome. Yeah, one of the things that I'm really liking about Material is the fact that they don't just include the ability to build these views, but they have some uh, almost drag and drop that's not the term I want to use, but um, drag and drop view controllers that mm -hmm. you can use. Um, so that alone is great for at least prototyping, or maybe you want to actually use that in your application. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to see 2016 be a year of, of a few awesome UI frameworks because UI design can be really challenging. Um, you know, a designer doesn't want to get in and... and mess around with constraints and as a programmer you don't necessarily want your designer getting into your Xcode project and um, designing the UI and interface builder because they might not understand the logic of constraints and and certain things like that so it's it, there's still a separation where most projects are really hard to to work quickly and iterate in an agile way between design and development and you know, I personally find myself going to more um, programmatic design where I define all my attributes, you know, in code rather than an interface builder. And even as in terms of adding buttons, I'm rarely using outlets anymore. Like I'm just doing uh, the same principles as responsive web. I like to just take the, the view size, you know, the frame size of the main window and kind of set that as global. Um, variables that I can then make percentages of so that now, you know, just like responsive web design, you know, with CSS, I can say, okay, give me 10% padding, give me 50% width, things mm -hmm. like that. So 
Um, I think in the future, maybe if somebody else doesn't beat me to it, I might even roll out some kind of a grid system um, that's just easy to to drop in any project and and start using. That would be definitely cool. Um, and that would be a great segue to our last piece, but there's one thing I want to mention before we do that. So on the mailing list uh, for Swift Evolution, um, there's some discussion about Swift 2 to Swift 3. Um, and they mentioned that there's going to be unavoidable disruptive change uh, for the code. And that's because that they are taking a lot of cocoa and doing what they call renamification. I don't know if that's an actual word or not, but um, they're going to be renaming a lot of cocoa methods to make them more swift and shorter, which is beautiful, uh, makes remembering them easy, though. With Xcode, we do have code completion, so that's something that we don't have in a lot of IDEs without importing a bunch of things. Um, but they do state that they will build uh, a migration technology to migrate from two to three. But I've also I've had issues with trying to migrate my code. A lot of times, I just end up doing it myself. Mm -hmm. But it's impressive. It's impressive how how active Chris Latner is with uh, its evolution and listening to community feedback. Uh, I think actually in that last um, correspondence, he had even said like, "Hey, you know, I listened to the users' feed, you know, to, to the community's feedback, but you know, essentially, there's there's a lot more challenges than than you would think." when it comes to implementing some of these features. And so it's not that we don't want to do them. It's that, you know, we have a lot to do is basically what he said. Uh, what did he say? Inherently fraught with peril. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, so I think it's cool though that Apple is, is listening to the community and that the community is, is very directly having an impact on the language so quickly. I think by Swift 3 or Swift 4, We'll see just a totally rework, a total rework of, you know, the foundation and some of the Cocoa libraries and and those core SDKs, especially the older ones, um, like interfacing with C. I've already seen a lot of that reworked, and and it's a lot easier to to use, and uh, yeah. So I'm excited though for the future of Swift. It's it's promising. Of course, yeah. The whole open sourcing thing was just a genius. We, we, we kind of thought it was coming, but we weren't sure. But obviously we know now, and we've known for a while that it's open source and the fact that the community has lots of involvement in what's actually happening to the evolution, uh, no pun intended, of Swift. If there's such thing as a, a TLDL, too long didn't listen, the moral of the story is boo Facebook and yay Swift. All right, so to close out today's episode, um, we decided to create some tools for you guys, and I'll let Clay speak a little bit about that. Yeah, so in the past few months, um, we've made an effort, Adam and I, to release uh, Flourish UI, and not just Adam and I, but Unicorn as a whole. We're, we're a pretty active uh, group in the Swift community. And uh, we're always trying to find ways to, to make it better and give back. And uh, one of the things we were talking about these past few weeks was that a lot of these startup ideas and apps that we're building 
are very similar. A lot of them have things like an onboarding flow where a user is educated about what your app does. So it's a paginated view controller and you're swiping and then you're saying, okay, let's get started. Um, or things like you know, user login, like authentication. And there are some great GitHub projects out there that give you a little bit of a boilerplate, but not all of them exist as CocoaPods because they truthfully don't really make sense to exist as CocoaPods. Um, and they just, there's no great way to drag and drop those into your project, um, especially when you're wanting to work with multiple different um, kind of view controllers. So you might have like, say, uh, a hidden drawer navigation, right? And you find a cocoa pod for that and you love it, but then that expects this concept of a master view controller, one single navigation controller, and maybe you have four different navigation controllers. Your onboarding screen might be a navigation controller and your authentication screen might be a navigation controller. And so you find that a lot of these um, freebies and, and open source uh, libraries don't really work well together, especially when it comes to views. And that and there's just a lot to be said about like getting up and running quickly, better debugging, better errors, things like that. Um, Even just directory structure. Yeah, yeah. You know, lack of conventions there. And so Adam and I being, you know, former Rails experts and loving what Rails did for the web community, we, we were thinking about it. We're like, man, rake tasks and the concept of rapid application development. That's really what made Rails so popular and why it remains so popular to date. Um, I don't think there's anything that rivals Rails when it comes to rapid application development. Um, granted, I'm biased, but I can also speak from experience. I've won dozens of hackathons because, you know, frankly, just nobody can compete with how fast you can scale up a project with Rails. Right. And so... If we could take those core concepts, not to say we're going to build a framework that handles routing and all these other things like Rails did, but if we could build the command line tools, the equivalent of rake tasks or, you know, like Rails new, to be able to set up a project and be guided through that project, to be able to say, okay, these are the things I want. I do want to use CocoaPods and I also want to use Carthage. Okay, great. Let's configure that for you because those two libraries don't always play nice together and there's some configuration there. So we can handle that configuration for you. Okay, next step, I want to use Material for my as a UI component. So let's just go ahead and drop that in. Or I want to use Flourish UI or any future alternatives. Let's go ahead and drop that in. Okay, great. Now what kind of view components do I have? Oh, well, I'm going to have an onboarding screen. I'm going to have an auth screen. Uh, I would like a side navigation or um, whatever the case. These are the types of things that just generally don't play well together. And so what we envisioned was making a build tool that would essentially go and pull from repos that have combined these settings together. Um, so it'd be similar to Rails new has like a, I can't think of the, the syntax for it, but you can actually reference like a specific GitHub repo where it will go and build you like a project with, you know, those types of features like OmniAuth and Devise, and you can kind of specify these these um, providers and it'll just actually go and pull the, the repo down behind the scenes that has already been set up and configured with those same and common components. So there's, there's a lot of pieces we want to build. We've decided to take this to the community, ask for some help. Um, we want your feedback. We started a Kickstarter campaign, bit.ly slash Swift Tools. Uh, that'll take you to our Kickstarter campaign. We'll link it in the description as well. Um, so we're looking to raise 20,000, which some devs have already said, whoa, that's steep. Um, 
but we want to do this right. So we'd rather fail the campaign uh, and you know try to do this another direction or do it right and get some real traction on this. So you know that that goal and fundraising that we're trying to achieve is funding Adam, myself, and Caesar for a couple months, going heads down on this and trying to make this awesome and truly useful for everyone from beginners to you know very advanced Swift developers because everyone can stand to benefit from rad tools. So yeah, we would love to, for you to check out the, that uh, Kickstarter campaign and uh, hopefully we can, we can churn out something pretty awesome for the community. Definitely, uh, look forward to working on it and figuring out what we may be missing that the community wants and needs in their everyday workflow. Um, and anything we can do to make our jobs easier and your jobs easier is what we want to do. So let us know. Yep, absolutely. All right. And with that, I think this podcast is complete. It's a wrap. It's a wrap. Chicka, chicka. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was good. It feels refreshing to have made another podcast. Um, yeah. I miss doing this. It's um, actually a lot easier than I remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, until we go into post-production, so all of you listeners get the advantages of us cutting out the mistakes and adjusting the levels for your benefit, but right. that's all right. It should be less than an hour of work, so I hope you enjoyed this podcast. <laughs> now for a little upbeat music for y'all. We've got Wu from Death by Pink Scissors. Enjoy. Marijuana. This harmless-looking cigarette is cloaked in many innocent disguises. But light the match, inhale the smoke, and it becomes an invitation to your own murder. <laughs>